you have in a sense sided with the Lord and he has an enemy and now you have an enemy and that enemy is seeking to destroy you. It's a spiritual uh, enemy and he's seeking to destroy your faith. We've talked about how Paul is using an analogy here of this armor of the kind of soldiers that would have been in his day and the armor that they wore. And he's drawing the analogy from those various pieces of armor uh, to uh, important truths of our salvation and in, important truths of the word of God. And he's telling us the command here is for us to stand. We're commanded. We have an enemy. He's, he's coming against us. There's an onslaught coming at us. And, and we are commanded to stand. But we don't stand in our strength. No, we stand in the strength of the Lord. And the way that we stand in the strength of the Lord is by putting the armor on that he has given to us. The armor is the strength. And so if you are a Christian here this morning, you need to be aware of the reality of spiritual warfare. And you need to be active in putting on this armor that God has given you so that you will be able to stand. And if you don't put this armor on, you will not be able to stand against the schemes of Satan. We've looked at uh, various pieces here. Last week, we talked about the helmet of salvation. I initially started working on that sermon and I, I, I was talking about, we talked about the three tenses of salvation, past, present, and future. And I was initially going to do all of that in one sermon and I cut it down to just doing last week the, the past tense of salvation. We have been delivered from, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, and I, I had intended to do all three of those. I, I cut that down to that one thing and I still preached way too long. So this week we're going to try to cover these, these last two ideas, uh, the three tenses, the three dimensions, the three aspects of our salvation. I have been saved in the past from the penalty of my sin. I am being saved right now from the power of sin. And in the future, I will be saved. I will be delivered from the presence of sin. There are three dimensions to our salvation. As we begin this morning, I want us to consider what, what is Paul exactly telling us when he tells us to put on this armor? Well, here's the reality. You and I as human beings, we operate on what we believe and what we know to be true. Every action that you take, every, every decision that you make, every emotion that you feel comes from what you believe to be true and what you know to be true. Everything really flows out or derives, all of our actions, emotions, decisions, everything we say and do derives from our heart. We do what we do. Listen this morning, we do what we do because we think what we think. This is what the book of Proverbs teaches us. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. The, the actions that we take, he's saying here, it's like a stream. Everything that you do, every, every action in your life flows out from your heart. It flows out like a, like a spring. 
And so it's because of that, then, then he tells us to guard your heart. Be, be careful. You know what happens if a spring gets polluted. All of the streams that come from that spring are polluted. And so it is with our hearts. If we take something into our hearts, into the, the core of our being, and we believe it to be true, we begin to act on it. We begin to feel on it. We begin to have emotions based on what we believe to, tr- to be true. Everything flows out of our heart. Therefore, because that is true, keep your heart with all, with all vigilance. Well, this is why Satan works so hard in terms of lying to us and trying to distort the truth. We, we've mentioned that the, the way that Satan attacks us, everything that he does really is based upon lies and deceptions and distortions. And the reason that is, is simply because what I've just been saying, if he can pollute our hearts, if he can get us to take some distortion into our heart and believe it to be true, when in fact it is not true, uh, then all of our actions, everything that we will, we do will be colored by that distorted lie. It's because of that then that we need to to guard our hearts. It's also, I think this enlightens kind of what Paul is telling us to do here. What, What is this analogy of putting on this armor? You know, he's put on the helmet of salvation. Uh, what, what does that mean? It, it's an analogy, but I think what he's saying is he's, he's saying, take these truths of God Take the truth of the the breastplate of righteousness. Take the fact that you stand in the righteousness of Christ. Take that into your heart. Uh, Take that into the core of your being. Let that be something that influences the way that you think and the way that you feel. Put it on. Don't let this truth of salvation, don't let it just be something that's sort of tangential, that's out on the periphery of your life, something you, you sort of believe, but, but it doesn't really, it doesn't take up residence in your heart and in your mind, in your soul, in the core of your being. Paul's saying, hey, take these truths that I'm telling you and, and let them rest in, in the core of your being, let them be what uh, what you operate upon. Let let it be uh, what you think about, what motivates, what animates your actions and and your emotions. Put these things on. That's what we're being called to do in this passage. So so what we're doing with each piece of the, uh, armor then is we're just looking at what does God's word say about this, and, and we're seeking to to incorporate these truths into our lives. Do you live, do you live in light of the fact of God's salvation in your life and what God is doing? Or could you go week in and week out without really, these truths really don't impact you at all? No, Paul's saying, look, take these truths and put them on. Put them in your heart. Put them in your mind. Let them rest deep in your soul. And when you do that, they will begin to uh, color your behavior and your emotions. They will impact the way that you think and the way that you act, the way that you feel. So let's think more about this idea of salvation. Well, we, we said uh, there are these three tenses of salvation. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. I will be saved from the presence of sin. Let's, let's think about how does uh, this idea that God presently is saving me from the, the power of sin, how does that impact the way that we think and how does it impact our, our lives? Well, one of the first things I think that we see is this means that sin will not enslave me. 
Because God is at work right now, presently saving me, delivering me from the power of sin, this means that sin will not, sin cannot enslave me if I'm walking in in the Spirit. God will empower you. He has empowered you. He is empowering you right now to walk faithfully according to His Word. Now, Satan will come against you. What is the attack of Satan? What is the distortion? Satan will come against you and he will strike you with the blow of temptation. And in that temptation, he's going to encourage you to feel powerless. This is the temptation. It's not just the temptation to sin, but it's the temptation to sin with this little added twist, this little added distortion that you might as well give in. This is just who you are. This is the way your family is. Your dad had a temper and now you have a temper. Your your, your mom was a gossip and now you gossip. You This is just who you are. You've tried a thousand times to stop doing this before and you've never been able to do it before. You don't have the power. You don't have the ability. You're locked into this sin. You might as well just give in. Satan will seek to hit you with the blow of powerlessness. You can't keep this up. You will fall. You will turn back. What you were once, will it'll show itself again. It's only a matter of time. The, the next trial or the next temptation is going to be too much. You will succumb. You will fall. You're just going to fall into it. So just give, give up now. The, the attack of Satan is to make you feel defeated, to make you feel trapped by sin, to to make you feel helpless, to make you feel powerless, weak, unable, not up to the challenge. He will tell you this is who you are and you cannot change. This is where you need to put on the helmet of salvation. You need to put on this truth that no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. Are you here this morning? Are you stuck in sin? That's not true. You are not powerless to overcome sin. Uh, you, you are not enslaved to sin. If you're a believer, if the Spirit of God lives in you, you have been set free from sin. You don't, it's not inevitable that you're just going to keep on giving into this. You may have done this for the past decade or the past two decades, but it's not true that if you're a believer, you are enslaved to just keep on doing the same old things. You have been set free. You, you see how what we believe begins to, to, to work itself out in our actions? If I believe I'm powerless, if I believe I'm weak, if I believe I'm enslaved to this, whatever it is, I'm just going to succumb to that temptation too easily. And that's exactly where Satan wants you to believe. So put on the helmet of salvation. Take this truth deep into your heart this morning. God has set you free from the power of sin. And then allow that to begin to permeate, to begin to work itself out in your life. The Bible declares something else to be true. You have been delivered from the dominating force of sin. You're engaged in a battle with sin with with which you are guaranteed. If you're a believer here this morning, you are guaranteed to win this battle. So keep fighting. The Bible teaches us that our our battle with sin is, is fought from a place of victory, not a place of defeat. Most Christians I know walk around feeling defeated. They, they walk around acting as if they, they don't have the power to overcome this. The reality is that God has given you power over sin. Let's consider a couple ways that that's happened. One, in Christ, in Christ, a death has taken place. So you say, this is just who I am. This is my DNA. We know 
We know how strong those that DNA is. We, We know how strong genetics are and my dad did this and now I do it. My mom did this and this is just, this is our family trait. This is, this is who we are. But listen this morning, if you're in Christ, you've died. Who you were is dead. Okay. So if you say that's who my dad was and that's who I, no, no, no. If you're in Christ, you've died. That old person that you were has died. Listen to what Romans six and verse six says. We know that our old self, it's our old sin nature. All of those sinful things that you inherited from your forefathers. Our old self was crucified with him, that is with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if this anger problem is something that runs in your family. It, it doesn't matter if pornography just has such a strong hold on you. I'm just a guy and that's just who I am. That's the way that I'm wired. It, it doesn't matter if you say, look, I'm just an anxious person. I'm just a worrier and that's what I do. I'll never be able to overcome worry. No, if you're in Christ, that old you has died. Satan wants you to believe that, that that's what still has the dominating force in your life. But the truth is you have died to the person that you were. The the person you were has died. You've been crucified with Christ and because you've died, you've been set free from the power of sin. That's what he says here. We would no longer be enslaved to sin. One who has died has been set free from sin. This morning, you need to live in light of that reality. Sin does not need to have dominion over you. You have power in Christ. But also, not only have you died in Christ you've entered into the realm of grace. You've entered into the realm of grace. Later on in chapter 6, verse 12 of Romans, this is what Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So there's the command. Don't do this. Don't let sin dominate you anymore. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought to from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now here's the key statement that we're going to dig in on here. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul didn't just say sin doesn't doesn't have to have dominion over you there. He says, if you're in Christ, you're in this new realm of grace and Sin will not have dominion over you. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. The law brought condemnation. And the reason the law brought condemnation is because it says this is what God wants you to do. This is his command. This is his will. This is his desire for you and what he desires for you to do in your life. But it gave you no power to actually do it. So it it brought condemnation. You say, there's the law. It's good. It's right. I know what I should do, but it doesn't ever enable me to do it. Paul says in Romans 7, the good that I think I should do, I I don't do. And the bad things I know I shouldn't do, that's what I keep on doing. But, But we have left that realm of law and we have entered into the realm of grace. Grace gives you the power to obey in two ways. One, the Spirit of God is within us now. And so the Spirit guides us. The Spirit directs us as New Covenant believers. And the Spirit empowers us to actually obey the commands 
of God. Also in this realm of grace, we're coming from a place of full acceptance. We are accepted in Christ. We stand in his righteousness. So as I've already said, we're, we're coming from a place of victory. And so because of the, these things are true, Paul is saying, listen, you're not under the dominion of sin anymore. Believer, you need to recognize that. You need to stop giving into the lie of Satan. You need to stop believing what Satan is telling you that you cannot overcome this sin. You are in, under grace. You have been set free from sin and that is no longer true of you. Second thing that, that we see here on, based on our present experience of salvation that God is delivering us from the power of sin uh, is this, that sin will not overcome me. Sin will not overcome me. Satan loves to sow doubt in our minds. Not only does he want us to feel powerless and alone in the moment of temptation, uh, he wants us to feel uncertain about our ultimate outcome. He wants us to feel as if our salvation is sort of in the balance, as if God's love for us, as if God's acceptance, as if our ability to continue on is somehow there's there's a question mark there. In the midst of temptation and trial, Satan wants you to feel all alone. You're fighting this battle. You're not even going to be able to overcome it. And more than that, you're all alone. You have no help. You have no power to be able to do this. He wants you to feel as if you're standing in your own power and that God is nowhere to be found. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt in the moment of trial or in the moment of temptation that it's just you there and maybe you've prayed to God you you don't sense God's help you you don't sense that God is near you helping you that's exactly what Satan wants you to feel he wants you to feel insecure he wants you to lose sight of the fact that God is holding you in his hands and keeping you by his power that's what Satan wants you to believe but here's the truth the helmet of salvation that we need to put on the truth is this God, listen this morning, God is with you. Are you in a trial? Are you undergoing a temptation? Are you struggling? Listen, don't go by your feelings. You feel, I feel like God is distant. I feel like God is not near. I feel as if God is not helping you. This is what God declares to you. God declares in his word that he is with you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he will sustain you, that he will help you, that he will uphold you. He will never leave you or lose you. Your salvation, uh, the Bible tells us, is not dependent on, on you or your strength or your power, but it's dependent on the power of God. And God is constantly upholding you by His power. Whatever trial you encounter, be sure of this, God is there with you. God is there with you. Are you in a trial right now? Are you undergoing difficulties? And Satan wants you to believe that God is not there with you, but God has declared that he is with you. Listen to some of what, what God says. Jesus has declared his intention to keep you. In, in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, I'm come to do God's will, and this is what God's will is that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is God's will. He's given Christ a people. 
Christ came to save them. And, and he's saying, I've come to do the will of God. And this is what God's will is, that I would lose none of his people, that I would lose none of his sheep. I'm not going to let any of them go astray. I'm not going to let any of them be lost. I'm not going to be let, let any of them be taken by, by wolves. I am going to care for them. I will not lose them. That's the will of God. So, so you may feel like you're struggling. You may feel like your hands are weak, like your knees are weak. You may feel like you don't have energy or the power, the strength to go on. You, you may feel like, man, one more wave of temptation, one more wave of trial, one more difficulty in my life, and that's going to be it. I'm going to be done. But this is what Jesus has declared. This is God's will, that he will lose nothing. And you know what nothing means in the Greek? It means nothing. He's not going to lose anyone that the father has given to him if you're one of god's children your salvation is secure and guess what it doesn't rest on you we have a responsibility god calls us to be faithful yes we must put in effort but but the real ultimate cause underlying all of it is the power of god god will keep you it's his will that will be done it's not up to your will my will is weak Sometimes I say, I never want to do that again. I never want to go there again. I never want to struggle with this again. I, I, I'm going to keep following the Lord. But then later on, you, you find that you begin to weak, you weaken, you begin to fade. And listen, it's not up to your will. It's the will of God. It, this is the will of God, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Our salvation is dependent on the Lord. That's why, although there are some Christians who believe that you can lose your salvation, that's why you cannot lose your salvation. Because it's not ultimately up to your will, it's the will of God. If I could lose my salvation, I would have lost it this morning. And I'd probably lose it before I get done preaching this sermon. But it's not up to me. It's the will of God. And Christ has said, that it's God's will that he should lose nothing of all that he has given him. It's secured by the power of God. In John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Jude uh, Verse 25 says, now to him who is able to keep you. God can keep you. God will keep you. It's his will to keep you and he has the power to do it. The, the only way we could be lost, the only way we could be defeated in this great battle that we're in is, is if somehow either God was did not desire to keep us, which he said it was his will to, to get, keep all that he had given to the son. So whether it was his desire or whether he was unable because he lacked the power to do so, but he has the power and he has the will to save you. And so you will be saved. He will carry you on. He will, he will lead you forward. He will hold you up. God is presently saving you from the power of sin. And then there's the, the future. God will save me. God will save me from the presence of sin. You see, salvation is not just a past event. I've been delivered. I've been saved from the guilt of my sin, from the penalty of my sin. It's not just a present event where God is sustaining us and holding us up, but it is also a future event. And in reality, uh, the greatest aspects of salvation are, are yet future. The greatest and the fullest realization of our salvation is yet future. Salvation is a future-oriented uh, thing. 
Listen to the way the Bible speaks about salvation being future-oriented, the future aspect or dimension of salvation. 1 Peter 1.5 says this. It talks about us who are being guarded by uh, through faith by God's power for a salvation, listen, a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In other words, the, the fullness of our salvation has not yet been revealed. We're waiting for it. It's coming. It's future. And, and one day it will be revealed, ready to be revealed at the last time. Romans 13, 11 says this, by this you know, uh, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So here is our salvation. Paul, Paul presents and says, really, our salvation is yet future. It's nearer now than when we first believe. We're all in a timeline. We're all marching forward. It's getting closer. It's nearer now, but, but yet it's still in the future. The full realization of our salvation is yet future. One more in Ephesians 1.13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It is future. You've been given an inheritance, but you don't have that inheritance yet. We've been talking a lot about this, but I just see this as such a, uh, an important reality. And I feel like so many people aren't, aren't getting this. Our salvation, the good things that God has promised us are primarily future. So many Christians have a distorted view of thinking that, that, that what God offers, the blessings of God, are all about the here and now. But that just simply is not reality. The greatest part of our blessings, the, the fullest realization of the salvation that God gives to us is a future thing. And so he's given us the Holy Spirit, which is one of those great realities. Uh, he's given us pardon and forgiveness of our sins, but the full realization, the, the full acceptance of those things are, are yet future until we acquire possession of it. So, so don't become disheartened when you think, is this it? I'm struggling like this. My life is like this. I feel like I'm falling apart. I feel like things around me are crumbling. I look at the world and it's not, it's no good. You, you look at politics, you look at our financial situation for some of us, you look at the health outlook for some of us, and you think, this is what God has promised? No, this is not what God has promised. God has promised us something in the future, and we're looking forward to it. We're longing for it. And so salvation is uh, something that is future. The helmet of salvation uh, includes this idea of future salvation. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, he uses that same analogy of putting on armor. He actually says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. The hope that salvation gives us because it's future. And so it, it provides hope for us now. We need to put it on. We need to take to heart the reality that one day all of the things that God promises to us, he's going to bring about. And you need to take that into your heart. You need to allow that to begin to permeate your, your life and to work out into all of your actions. Do you live your life based on the fact that God is saving you and that one day all of these promises are going to be fulfilled? 
Are, are you living in light of, uh, of the resurrection, of eternal life, of heaven, of being in the presence of God? Does that impact your, your life? Or is that just something you think about once in a while at funerals or, or when, when something bad happens? No, no, this is, this is something that should be, if we're to put it on, it's something that we're putting into the core of our being. Albert Barnes says this about the hope of salvation. He says, the idea is that a well-founded hope of salvation will preserve us in the day of spiritual conflict and will guard us from the blows which an, an enemy would strike. The helmet defended the head, a vital part. And so the hope of salvation will defend the soul and keep, keep it from the blows of the enemy. A soldier would not fight well without the hope of victory. A Christian could not contend with his foes without the hope of final salvation. But sustained by this, what has he to dread? This morning, if you're going to overcome the schemes of Satan in your life, if you're going to be victorious over him, this truth of this future salvation has to take root in your heart and life. It's got to be at the core of your being. It's got to influence your thoughts and your actions. It's, it's got to be what animates you. A, a future salvation produces hope, and hope is the thing which fuels our effort in battle. You know, we as, as human beings, if we don't have hope, we don't do well, do we? We do not do well without hope. On the flip side of that, a person who has hope can endure some of the severest trials as long as there's hope. Have you ever seen that happen? Maybe you've heard of people you even use the term of like stories of hope, right? It's someone who held on to hope in the, the worst possible situation. Maybe you've read and, and, and heard about some of the uh, concentration camps and the survivors of, of Nazi concentration camps. What was it that, that allowed them to move forward as they're literally starving to death? As they're undergoing some of the, the most severe trial that anybody could go on uh, in this life. What, what is it that enabled many of them to move on? Well, there, there was hope. I, I read a story uh, or an interview with one survivor who said this, this little quote, and I think it gets to the heart. As long as we breathe, we continue to hope. As long as we breathe, we continue to hope. We, we need hope big time. Just as human beings, we need hope. You know, when somebody's going through something, there's hope for a better day. A better day will come. And on the flip side of that, hope can keep you going. But a person without hope, man, that situation is bad. If somebody loses all hope, maybe they're undergoing some medical trial and they, or they just get to the point where they realize that this is the end. They lose hope. They get to the point of despair, right? Well, listen, this is the way we are in our Christian life. We need hope. And the thing that gives us hope is, is salvation, our future salvation. Here's the problem with so many of us is that we tie our hope to, to things in this life. And, and one by one, like dominoes, they get, they get knocked down. You're young and you think, man, I want to get married. I want to, that's, that's what I'm hoping, that's what kind of motivates me. I'm going to get married and I'm going to have children. You get married and, and that hope fades away. I'm not going to say why, but that that hope fades, doesn't it? Uh, it doesn't bring all of the joy uh, that you thought it would. Uh, and children, children grow up. We, we just had two graduates here. Children grow up. They move out. They move on with their lives. 
Then, then you begin to get older and you think about retirement, right? Man, I'm going to retire. I'm going to travel. I'm going to have this money. You, you retire and then you start to have health issues. And one by one, whatever the things are in this life that you put your hope, they get knocked down. They get knocked down again and again and again until the point that you, if you're not looking to the Lord, you have no hope in this life. And that's why it's from the start, what we need to do is just anchor our hope to the Lord. We have a future salvation that is promised. Your health is good now. Well, that's good. It won't be good. Eventually it will get bad. Your children are doing well. Eventually they won't be doing well. You got plenty of money. Eventually you won't have plenty of money. Listen, that's just the reality of this life. Don't put your hope there. Let, let Put on the helmet of salvation. Put your hope in Christ. Put your hope in the salvation that he has given to us. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 6 says. Hebrews 6.18 It talks about the fact that God has given us an oath concerning our salvation so that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. We need encouragement. We might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. You see what this saying? This hope of salvation that we have is like an anchor for our lives. If you have hope as the storms of life are tossing you all around, if you're anchored in Christ, you're you're anchored in the reality that I have eternal life. One day the Lord is going to save me. He's going to deliver me from the presence of sin and all of its effects. And that is what you hold on to. That will never be you will never be moved. If you put your hope in money and your retirement and kids or and a loved one and anything else in this life, eventually that will get knocked down. But but the hope of our salvation is a sure and steadfast anchor for our life. Do you have that? Has the reality of salvation been been what you've been clinging to in in this life? Again, Albert Martin says this hope accomplishes for the soul the same thing which an anchor does for a ship. It makes it fast and secure. An anchor preserves a ship when the waves beat and the winds blow. As long as the anchor holds, so long a ship is safe and the mariner apprehends no danger. So with the soul of the Christian. In the tempest and trials of life, his mind is calm as long as his hope of heaven is firm. If that gives way, he feels all is lost. Listen, hope is essential to our salvation in Romans 8, 23, Paul says that we were saved in this hope for in this hope we were saved. But salvation is by very nature a, a future-oriented thing. It's something that, that uh, brings about hope. Uh, he says hope that is seen is not hope. Uh, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so hope is by very net definition looking to something in the future. Hope for something better empowers us to overcome temptation and to remain faithful in, in trial. If eternal life and the enjoyment of heaven in the presence of God and the full experience of God's promises carries great weight in your heart, then the trials that you're going through will seem easy to overcome. Right. If heaven is real to you and I'm not talking about a book, but if it's real in your heart, if the promises of God are real to you, 
then when you go through that temptation, you're going to be able to overcome it because heaven is real. If you go through that trial and you go through that health difficulty, you go through some pain in this life, if the promises of God, this future salvation, if they're real to you, they'll be an anchor for your soul. But if God's promises are small, if they seem insignificant or distant or not real to you, those trials will flood you. They, they will capsize your life. We need a sure anchor. Hope really even brings joy in tribulation. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, 12. It's just a, it's kind of the close getting toward the end of, of Paul's letter. Uh, and he kind of gives some short uh, commands, but this is one of them. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Just think about those three little words. Rejoice in hope. What, what brings you joy in this life? What is it that, that brings joy when you, he, he follows that up with be patient in tribulation. When you're going through tribulation, when you're going through trials, what is it? How can you have joy? You, you know, Paul says in another place uh, to, to rejoice in every circumstance. How do you rejoice when, when you get a cancer diagnosis? How do you how do you rejoice when you lose, you, you know, some of your savings? How do you rejoice when a loved one passes away? How can you rejoice in those moments? You can rejoice in hope because there's something in the future that is coming that right now gives me joy. Yes, this trial is hard. This this tribulation is difficult. There's a time for weeping. There's a time for sadness. But even in the midst of that weeping and sadness, if you have hope of something better in the future, you can rejoice. Rejoice in hope. What is it that, that gives us this hope? Just think as we close this morning. What, what are these realities of this future salvation? What's the the hope of the resurrection. Maybe you're, maybe you're going through something, some trial physically. Maybe you've been diagnosed with something. Maybe you're struggling uh, with, with your health. The hope is you, you're going to have a resurrected body. God is going to make you new. He's going to remove that cancer. He's going to take out and, and get rid of those things that, that cause depression. He's going to overcome Parkinson's disease. He's going to overcome these things. He's going to give you a new body. Rejoice in that hope. You're going through a trial. You've, you've got bad health right now. But yeah, you can't rejoice in that circumstance, but you can rejoice in hope. You can rejoice in the fact that I'm going to be resurrected one day. I'm going to be given a new body. A loved one has passed away. If they know Christ, they're going to be resurrected. We're going to be with them in heaven. Rejoice in hope. The hope of the resurrection. Jared talked about Ken, and I just want to encourage you to really pray for Ken. We've seen Ken over the last year really decline in his health, and, and it's becoming more and more severe. It was hard to be at the hospital uh, with him because he was just writhing in pain. And uh, Ken's got such a good spirit, uh, just just a faithful brother, and what, what an encouragement to me to see his his faithfulness in the midst of that. But he would just be wincing in pain. There were, there were shooting pains coming up from his leg and his, his back. And he'd be wincing in that pain. And then the next moment, just go on to, to laugh and talk about things in this life. What encouragement do you give somebody like that? Ken, listen, 
We can pray for healing and God may, may bring some short-term healing. Ken is not getting better. He, he knows that. We, we all know that. He's, he's got Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease, a debilitating disease. He's up in his age. He's not going to get better. What hope do we have? How can we rejoice with Ken? What, what can we point him to? The hope of the resurrection, the, the hope of a future salvation. That's where our hope has to lie because in the end, all of the hopes that in this life, they get knocked down, they get pulled away. We have hope in something that is future. We have hope in the eradication of our sin nature. We talk about fighting our sin and fighting temptation. That gets wearisome, doesn't it? But listen, there's a reality coming in the resurrection. We're not going to have to fight sin anymore. Our sin nature will be done away with. It will be completely gone. We will be glorified. You won't struggle with sin anymore. Praise the Lord. It'll be a lot nice, a lot nicer knowing you then than it has been knowing you now. It'll be a lot nicer knowing me uh, when all my sin's been done away with. Trust me. It, it will be a much better experience. But, but for all of us, praise the Lord, our sin will be gone. It's the hope of a new heavens and new earth. We see tornadoes going through. We hear of children getting cancer. We hear of all of the effects of sin on this world. God is going to make all things new, he tells us in Revelation 21. God will rule in righteousness. We, we see all of the turmoil politically. Well, how do you have hope in that? How do, how do you have hope in a world that's just so chaotic and there's so much fake news, you don't even know what's true. You can't even tell up from down anymore. Where do you derive hope? Have hope in the future. Rejoice in hope. One day, Christ is going to rule and reign. He's going to put down all authority and he will reign in perfect righteousness. Let's praise the Lord. Let's, let's, let's wait for that day and rejoice in his rule and reign. The effects of sin on our world will be gone. The, the hope of victory over Satan. We're talking about, listen, you're in a battle, Christian, and, and it's going to be a battle for the rest of your life. You're in a spiritual war, but there's a day coming when the enemy will be fully and finally defeated. Revelation 20.10 tells us, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan will be defeated. Hope in that. Put your hope in that. This morning, do these, do these truths rest deep in your heart? Paul's telling you, put these things on. Let these things have a greater influence in your thoughts. Let them be where your heart and your mind rest when you put your pillow on, on the, when you put your head on the pillow at night. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you. We delight in this salvation that you've provided for us. God, I pray that you would help these realities become more real to us. If we confess our, our faith is weak, because our faith is weak, often our hope is small. We pray that you would strengthen our faith. We, we believe, but help our unbelief. Our faith is weak. It is small. Help us, help it to grow, Lord. Strengthen our faith. God, I pray for that day when all of these things will come to pass. We, we long for the resurrection. We pray uh, with, with John, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long for the day when all these things will be made new. Help us to live the rest of our life in a greater awareness of these realities. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.